For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Welcome in, DC family, to another Believe in Wizards podcast. I think we've got another really good episode for you today. It's the continuation of our Bullets Forever three-point play. So myself, Kevin Broom, and Osmond Begg of Bullets Forever will be breaking down uh, this week's particular topic, and, and that's the rotation. I think that's sort of been the biggest thing in Wizards world for the last couple of days. You know, we've, we've covered some of the trade stuff and uh, where Kuzma's at, but who should play, right? I mean, Neto getting minutes, Holiday not getting minutes, Denny not getting minutes, like those are all things that people are frequently talking about. So we're going to break that down in detail here. Before we get to that, I just want to throw a little love to the Capital City Go-Go. This is obviously a pro Go-Go podcast, as you've heard us talk about a couple of times on here. But I had the opportunity the other night to to sit courtside, which was funny, um, at a Go-Go game. And they have a thing called the 202 Courtside Lounge, which is literally like a lounge area with some couches and some high top tables right on the court, like basically touching the court. If you extend your legs, you could probably trip a player unintentionally or maybe intentionally, depending on how many of the beers you've had, I guess. But uh, please don't do that. They have little conduct cards on the couch. So so don't say that Matt Moderno mentioned that or gave you the idea. But uh, yeah, it's just a cool experience, right? I mean, I think so many people want the opportunity to sit courtside sometime in their life at a professional sporting event. And it's just really cost prohibitive for most of us to, to do that at an NBA game, unless you get hooked up from friends or work or whoever it might be. But uh, you get a lot of people that knock the G League on being the JV or whatever, but it is professional basketball. These guys were the best players on their college team. I personally think it's a higher level of play than college basketball most of the time. And a lot of these guys are just really good and fun to watch. It's people that are hungry and competing for their jobs. And, and it's more cohesive basketball than they get credit for. Like these guys aren't, you know, revolving doors for the most part, like they were in the old D league days. Like now that they have these affiliates for, for teams, guys stick, you know, stick around longer. And these are people that have been in the system where they get coaching from the actual wizard staff, or they go up and down with the two ways. So these are real legitimate, you know, fringe NBA players at the very least. Like if there are 450 spots in the NBA, the next hundred guys, a lot of them are, are G league level players. And then you get the people like Isaiah Todd or Kyrie Walker that were young phenom players that were highly recruited or highly hyped early on and, and, and showed a lot of potential at a young age and, and still have, you know, opportunities to, to show off that potential in the G league. So I, I think that's really cool. G league markets itself as the stars of tomorrow today, I think that's like really true. Now, granted, not all of these guys will play and and things like that, but it was really cool to be on the floor, basically, 
and hear these guys like and how much they actually communicate. And the one I keep pointing to was Greg Monroe, who was basically like point guard on the court for the go-go. He was like telling guards like which side of the pick and roll that they should, you know, should they blow up the screen? Like it was just hearing him like direct traffic was, was really interesting. And I think that's the answer to the question of why guys like that are on G league rosters, because they can really help the learning curve in real time, you know, in, in the way that the coaching staff can't, these guys have done it and lived it. And Greg Monroe made a lot of money in the NBA and I'm sure he has hopes to still, you know, getting back there other than a 10 day call up, but at the very least, he's still making money to play basketball in a meaningful way. And for someone like him, it it might help jumpstart like a future coaching career too, because he's now mentored younger guys and, and can, you know, pass on really good traits and work habits. And it's to the NBA club's advantage to have a few of those guys on every roster at the game. I was at the way played the Raptors nine Oh five and Jody Meeks was on that team. Now I did not love Jody Meeks's time as a wizard, uh, mostly because it was like the worst season of his career, but which is fitting for anyone joining the Wizards, but he was doing the same, same kind of thing for the Raptors. And that was also cool. Also former wizard Isak Banga was on their team and shockingly did not even stand out particularly against G league competition. So um, sorry for, for him that that's not going super well, I guess, but wish him the best of luck uh, as a former wizard. So uh, going back to the go-go again, this courtside lounge thing, you can get tickets for $59 per person for a single game to sit in, in one of these courtside lounge seats, or you could rent them out as a group. Uh, the GoGo have made an, a promo code available for us for those seats to be available for $50 uh, for our listeners and Bullets Forever readers. So the, the promo code is BFGOGO, and uh, I can make the link, of, uh, link available for folks if you want it. There should be an article up on Bullets Forever that that I'm going to have that, that talks about that kind of experience and you get unlimited food and it's like hot dogs, popcorn, chips, snack mix, you know, things like that. And unlimited, uh, unlimited domestic beer, wine, Pepsi products. So uh, you sit courtside, you can eat and drink for the length of the game, sit with your buddies, you know, heckle, cheer on. I kept trying to yell out different stuff and I'm just kidding. I didn't really yell at too many things, but you could, if you wanted to, uh, it's a little, it's a little quiet. So it's just a good opportunity to listen and hear. And and sometimes it's neat to just like hear the squeak of the ball and the shoe is hitting the court and that kind of nerdy stuff, but it is a different kind of experience. So I think it's a cool thing that they offer. If you haven't tried out one of their games in general, it actually seems like a relatively like COVID safe activity to go out and do. If you're like me, you work from home and you need some opportunities to get out of the house. I think this is a good one to do it because they aren't super crowded. They should get more of a crowd in my opinion, but they aren't for right now. So there is an opportunity to spread out. Uh, you don't have to sit particularly close to anyone unless you want to. So you and your group could go take any of the GA seats in a corner behind the basket or whatever you want to do and see some good level of basketball without, you know, risking Omicron or whatever. So uh, I would keep that in mind. Again, I think it's a super cool option that that they offer for folks. And yeah, just, just show our guys some love. They're in DC. It's relatively easy to get to. There's like a real police presence there. So like you feel super safe where you park and they run a shuttle from the parking lot to the courts back and forth. And I think the city and the team has done everything they can to make that like a cool fan experience. And they should get some amount of credit for that, to to be honest, I think at least. So Capital City Go-Go, they're really fun. They're doing pretty well. They'd get blown out a couple nights ago, but 
for the most part, they've been good. And, and that's without much impact from Todd thus far. I think he's been mostly up with the Wizards. Kyrie Walker has blown up for a couple games. Uh, the game I was at, he had like almost 30 points. I want to say he had 28 for the game. He had 18 in the first quarter or something crazy. Uh, he had 18 the game before that. So after three games, he's averaging like 20 points. He hasn't played a ton the last couple of games. So I don't know if that's a an injury thing or just trying to integrate different guys and show off different stuff. But we're starting to see some flashes from him of the dude that you know made him uh, the number one high school prospect uh, prospect as a freshman. So they can turn him into a rotation player at some point. I think that would be a huge find from, from Tommy Shepard. So give them a watch. They're always on NBAGleague.com. All their games are available. The Monumental Sports app makes them available. A lot of the games are on ESPN+. Plus. So it's just a good alternative on nights when there aren't Wizards games, in my personal opinion. They also have something that they're doing called the Capital City Sips program where Fans can purchase those tickets for a little bit cheaper. You could rent it out as a group. So if you want to do some team building at work or something, this is a good option, you know, option to do that. There are games, I want to say, in, in terms of home games that you can get these cheaper tickets for on January 28th. It's a Friday night, March 25th at 7 p.m., April 1st at 7 p.m. So these are all Friday night games. Go have a couple of beers with your buddies, uh, get some snacks, hang out. And just see some basketball. I think it's a, it's worth trying out at least once. If you do, let me know what you think. I'd be happy to uh, to chat about it or give you any tips on, on getting there, any of that stuff too. And I like going to these, so there's a reasonable chance. Uh, I'll be there too. So if you want to hang out, uh, talk some basketball in real time, just hit me up. Uh, all right. With that, I think uh, we're going to get ready for, like I said, our Bolts Forever three-point play on the rotation this week. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to get a quick word from uh, our sponsor, as always, Bet Online. Uh, you guys know the drill at this point. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy betting New Year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. A new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. Okay, folks, uh, we're we're gonna hit this one hard now. We're we're getting into the rotation. I think this has been the biggest conversation in, in Wizard Twitter here. So I got Kevin Broom and Osmond Begg with me to uh, to figure out who should play. We're gonna write this all up. We're gonna send it to. Uh, coach Unseld or whoever is actual acting coach at this point and, and make sure that they, uh, they work this into future game plans here. But guys, just to start us out, like how many guys should be playing? Like what's your just general, your coaching philosophy. If you're the next interim coach, what's the number of players, uh, you know, that makes sense for, for this rotation. For me, I I'd say eight, I think three guards, three forwards, two centers. That's the, for me, that's the ideal rotation. I would go with, I think I'd go with nine and based on their roster, I would reconfigure kind of where they play some people. We could get into that in a little bit, but I think a nine man rotation, you're not stressing people too much. They went with 10 men in their kind of consolidated rotation against Philadelphia. I would cut one more person out. So like in the days before Bill Simmons, like turned into a cartoon and he wrote book of basketball and he had actual reasonable basketball takes. He had this whole thing about like eight and a half is really the sweet spot. And you play eight guys, and then there's one dude who plays 10 minutes 
you know, on average, it might be 21 night if somebody's in foul trouble or hurt or whatever, or he doesn't play at all if it doesn't make sense situationally. And like, that's how you look at it. But like eight solid guys. And I, I wrote down his breakdown for it. Um, so you need two legitimate scorers on the court. One guy that's kind of your ball handler. Another guy that's your perimeter defender. Uh, one just sort of like rebounder, rim protector. And everybody needs to be able to defend and play some sort of like role, but also know what that role is going into crunch time. And I think some of that's like a little generic, but I did like the eight and a half thing of like, you know, like the eight plus a floater kind of makes sense to me. And I don't know who the floater is, but you could kind of figure that out. Yeah. And that, uh, uh, I can't remember who they played, but oh, Philly game that, that basically they had nine and a half because, yeah. you know, Gafford played what, like eight minutes or whatever, because mm-hmm. he committed 95 fouls in those eight minutes. But, um, you know, I wonder how the rotation would have worked if Gafford hadn't been fouling so much. Actually, yeah, and I'm rethinking my answer. I'm saying nine, but actually Kevin may have been like, I'm saying nine because we play three centers mm-hmm. and it looks like we are going to be playing three centers, I would say at least until the trade deadline. So yes, nine based on that, eight based on normal normal things. <laughs> so yeah, interim coach Blair and Montrez Harrell both said that uh, Harrell advocated for Bryant playing ahead of him because he thought that Bryant was bigger and was a better matchup for Embiid and could drag him out to the three-point line more. So I'm curious if if we're buying that Harrell actually had some impact on who played or not, but if 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 it's him out, if it was Brian out, if they'd have both played a decent amount of minutes and it's a three-way split, I'm just very curious what that would have looked like otherwise. Well, I think it would have looked a little bit like last season's three-headed monster at, at center. You know, yeah. Scott Brooks stumbled into that, you know, at some point, he basically injuries and all this stuff, and he had three guys who could play, so he just sort of ran them all out there for essentially equal amounts of playing time. And I, it probably would have looked something like that. And I think, that, you know, that could work. That could work. I, they probably need to make a trade there, but, you know, it could work again. Yeah, I think it like, you know, look, people make fun of Scott Brooks for it, but based on what he had, it worked. Like Lopez came in for a few minutes, made a bunch of hooks. Gafford came in off the bench. He wasn't in the condition to play 25 minutes yet. And he did his thing. And who was it? Alex Len started and was just a big body. So he he got what he could out of that rotation. I think it would have looked like what it has been. I think the Portland game was before that. And what happened first was Harold came in second. Thomas Bryant came in to start the second and the fourth quarters. And it just doesn't like, you know, it didn't have the flow, I think. Um, at least in that game, I thought like, uh, I, I thought it looked just the way it worked out better. Like it just by chance with the foul trouble, Gafford had to go out earlier and it kind of let the other two players, Brian and Harold get into a bigger flow. And then they kind of rode Brian in the second quarter and they rode the Harold in the fourth quarter, played it by feel and it worked out well. It's not the ideal it's, you know, you kind of, if you're committed to all three playing in a game, you might take out one guy when they're when they're playing well, just because you have to get the next person in. So it's not the ideal, but you can make it work, I think. And I think especially given Gafford really doesn't do well, in my opinion, against kind of the bigger, bulkier centers. Harrell's a little undersized, so he's not the right matchup for Embiid. He, is, he was correct. Bryant is a better matchup for Embiid, even though he's not really defensively either. But at least on offense, he'll take him out to the three-point line. 
he'll make him work a little bit more, whereas Embiid can sink off of Harold more. So it did make sense for that matchup. It's really a function of just the roster. All three guys need to play, but not all, like all three are, have matchups that they individually struggle with. Yeah. I think you're going to get cooked by Embiid regardless. So I'd like either Bryant or Harold in a matchup like that, because at least they're going to run around a little bit more and maybe, maybe you tire and beat out some amount in the process. I, I don't know, but there's the whole like football adage where like, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks or, or however you look at it. Like I'm okay with a, like a, you know, a revolving door kind of thing at, at center. I mean, that's like the one position where I think that's okay to have guys situationally for, for these guys, because they probably have some trade value and there's expirings. I would definitely trade one of the two guys, but you know, if you play this out for the next month, I, I don't think it's like the worst thing. I, I agree. I, there's no reason not to go ahead and just play all three. And, you know, different guys will get different minutes based on the matchup, you know, and that, that, that would be fine. You know? Yeah. I think Thomas like you Brown, said, I think it's pretty clear to me anyway. I mean, Harrell is the guy they should, should be trading. He's, he's older. He's um, doesn't really have the same kind of future that they do. And I think with Gaffer and Bryant, they have an interesting mix of skills that can give completely different looks. You know, Gafford is definitely a rim runner and a lob threat and uh, a shot blocker. I, I hesitate to say he's like a quality defender. He, he does do okay protecting the rim, but the defense is not particularly good when he's out there, but that's true really regardless. The team is pretty bad defensively period. Um, and Bryant, of course, he's got the ability to shoot from anywhere. He's a, a good passer on short roll. He's a good passer from, you know, high post type sets and, uh, you know, out of horns. And he has to be guarded everywhere. He's also instantly the best screener on the team. You know, it's like he came out and it was like, oh, wait a minute. There's rescreens. There's, you know, this? Yeah. screens. There's contact before he slips. You know, what? what is this? Somebody's actually setting screens. It's weird. Um, so. You know, he so he's got some skills that that neither Harold nor um, Gafford has. So on that that basis, I mean, he's he's good to keep, and with some combination of the other two, and it's pretty clear that Gafford is going to be that other guy. They've signed him to a contract, a value contract, I think, and so Harold is the guy to 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 see if they can move. I think. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. And like, if if Harold was signed for like a two-year. $6 million deal, you keep him and you don't worry about this issue. But like you said, him, he's expiring, Thomas Bryant's expiring, and Thomas Bryant this time around is going to be an unrestricted free agent. So you just have to, you have to, you don't want to lose either. Like if both have value, you don't want to lose, lose them for nothing at the end of the season. Thomas Bryant, they could actually work an extension out with now. I would probably, to be honest, start having that conversation to see if he's amenable or open to a price tag that's reasonable thinking, okay, Gafford got something in what, when you average it out, it's like an MLE type deal for the next five years, something like that, correct? So is, is Brian open to a similar type $10 million, two for 20 type deal? And then basically you have those two with their different skill sets playing 20 to 25 minutes a night, complementing each other. Is anybody else going to give Brian that after two years of basically not being able to stay on the court? I think teams would factor that in for a guy that's had some lower body stuff when making a deal like that. You might be able to get him for what he makes now. And if you can do that, you do that in a heartbeat, I think. Well, I think yeah, there's I the think caps. More than an MLE offer. Um, you know, 
I can't see anybody doing that. Now I could see, you know, some of the, some of the good teams wanting to grab him at a discount price for their bench, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I don't think anybody's going to go beyond the MLE. So if they gave him, I kind of was thinking they could just roll over, basically do the same contract again, maybe with a 10% raise or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, inflation bonus. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and give him three, three more years at, you know, 30 million or something like that. And I think that at that point, your center position is um, going to be adequate, especially, you know, then you fill in with minimum salary rim running guys. You know? Right. You know, you're fine. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think if, but, so what do you do if you reach out to him and he's not open to that and he, maybe he wants to go to the market and I, I, and like, I was thinking of like what the market for him would be. Is there a chance, like a team like Detroit who probably wants shooting around Kate Cunningham and has cap space, you know, would they possibly be interested? And like you said, there are contenders who like, Hey, we could use this stretch five who could set screens and maybe Brian's willing to take 5 million from a Los Angeles Lakers versus Eight million from the Washington Wizards. You know, Although the Lakers cut him. So maybe. oh, that's true. Okay, let's just say the Heat, maybe, or I still live in LA. So maybe <laughs> still, I'd still go back to LA. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, right? There's always some center every year that everyone's like, "Hey, that guy's pretty good. How come he didn't get paid?" Like, I just yeah. wouldn't overpay for anyone you don't at least see with a legitimate path to being your starter. Like, he could be, but it's not because he's going to be like overwhelmingly better than Gafford. It's just. Maybe it's the fit or the you know the roster or whatever, but mm-hmm. you it know, like, really they're I think they're going to be in terms of overall impact, overall value, probably about the same. Right. Unless like Bryant makes a big step leap forward defensively, which we've been saying now for what three years. Right. So uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is with Harrell, he was arguably their MVP for the first quarter of the season. But like you said, he's older, undersized. There's some matchups that we've seen that he clearly just can't excel in, like when he's playing the big seven footers. So yeah, if you could, and I'm sure he would have value to a contender at the deadline or if a team has injuries, he'll have value to a team, I think. And they, the cupboard is pretty bare in terms of at least second rounders. And even, I mean, this team could even use first rounders. So if they could get a pick or if they could use his salary to get back some more shooting, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I think you tell Gafford to be as insane and like insanely aggressive defensively as he can be for the next month, like just be out of control. And if he picks up a ton of fouls and you just so happen to spotlight Bryant and Harold Moore until the trade deadline, like that's maybe not the worst thing that could happen to you. Right. <laughs> All right. So we've, we've settled on at least three guys for the time being who probably get rotation minutes. So that leaves us six spots to play with here. Who else should be in this rotation? Like there's some pretty straightforward ones, but like, those last couple of spots are my where you know where where folks would maybe disagree a little bit. So uh, I think it's pretty safe to say Bradley Beal is going to continue to get some minutes on this team. Uh, I would hope uh, Kuzma, uh, Dinwiddie, you know, like maybe maybe you could make a case where he hasn't actually deserved them a lot of the time. But uh, the offense has been getting better, I think, at the very least. So uh, that's that's three guys right there with three spots to play with. So then we're talking. Rui, Denny, Neto, Holiday, Bertans, Kispert, like who you guys got for those last couple of spots there? So personally, I would go with, so what they did in the Philadelphia game, Dinwiddie, Beal, KCP, Kuzma, Gafford, which is fine. If that's what they want to do, that's fine. Okay, so um, what I would do different, and then they played Rui, 
off the bench. They played Kispert off the bench, both centers and Neto. My change would be, that's 10 players. My change would be this. Neto has not really played well. So two choices here, and then I'll kind of open this up to you guys to see what you would do here. Your Beal has shown that he could play some point or some lead guard. You could get away with 10 to 15 minutes of Beal as your lead guard. So when Dinwiddie comes out, why not slide Beal to the point guard and slide Caldwell Pope to the shooting guard where his, he actually probably should be? That opens up those 20 minutes that Neto got. You can still keep Denny in the rotation if you want, or you could cut both out entirely and you're down to nine players. You could play Kispert more. Kispert's been playing pretty well. Um, it just opens up. I think it, it makes you a bigger team. And neither Neto, Neto or Denny really are deserving of that playing time right now. But if you want to keep your young guy in, you can squeeze him in, squeeze him a few minutes here or there. I just, that's the one part of it. I like how they, how they consolidated, how they shortened the rotation. I just didn't understand why Neto was in, especially because every time Neto checked in, Dinwiddie was out and Dinwiddie would check back in like one or two minutes later. So why do you really need to have a Dinwiddie-Neto backcourt? Yeah, um, I, I agree with a lot of that. Uh, I certainly, I know that there's some free Aaron Holiday kind of stuff out there. Uh, you know, he's, he's, I think at this point, we pretty much know um, he's not going to be a quality backup even. Um, so I, I would be perfectly fine cutting Neto. I mean, he, Neto was good last season um, in that off ball, you know, playing the small shooting guard role, playing off of Westbrook and Beal. And, but he's not that this season. He's below 25% from three. He's committing a lot of dumb turnovers. And, you know, he's tenacious defensively. He's just small, you know. And so I think that in terms of, like, it's, it's weird because we talk about the Wizards having too many guys, and yet at the same time they kind of don't have enough. You know, I've got, like, really six guys who belong in the rotation for sure. I guess seven, if you want to include uh, Thomas Bryant in there, but then you've got like three centers, but so the six would be uh, Beal Dinwiddie in the backcourt, Kuzma, Gafford, Harrell, and then, and KCP, and then Thomas Bryant being your seventh. And then after that, it's kind of like everybody is, you've got to play somebody, but it's not like anybody that you're thrilled to play with, play with. But I do like the idea of, switching to a three, really a three guard rotation of Beal, Dinwiddie, KCP, and then using KCP summit small forward and using Kispert as the other small forward or, um, yeah, I think Kispert probably plays there. Maybe you could call KCP your small forward and Kispert your, your shooting guard. I don't care. They're, they'd be pretty interchangeable. And then Kuzma is going to play big minutes at, has to play big minutes of power forward and you hope he stays good. And um, even if he's not, even if he recedes back to basically average, which is what he's been, then he still has to play big minutes. Um, you know, Bertans has demonstrated this season that he's, you know, he's, he's not the guy he's, he can't play. And, 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 you know, Danny, he defends well and he is an absolute self-check on offense. You know, he, he can't make open shots. He, struggles finishing it's funny he shoots a high percentage at the rim but he doesn't finish well and it's a it's a strange combination that he, that he has and you know he's he's a he's a decent passer but he's not really a playmaker in the sense that um 
you know, he, he can create openings for team. He can find open teammates, but he can't get them open, you know? So I, I'm not sure that he's like somebody you want to rely on um, in the rotation either. Ideally, they probably trade some of these guys for a small forward, you know, that they can start. And um, then, you know, then the three guard rotation becomes clear and the front court rotation becomes clear. It's pretty clear they're going to play Rui Hachimura. Um, Rui's not been very good since he returned. You know, I think that they're going to hope that he gets back to whatever they imagine he can be at some point, but he's, he's obviously not been good so far. So that would be my rotation anyway. Yeah, I, I agree with most of that. I think, I think Rui is really only playing Kuzma's backup minutes. He's not playing anywhere else. So he's getting those 13 minutes that Kuzma's not on the floor. I did like when Brian and Rui did seem to have some good chemistry last game. They played a little high-low action. They, they really would flash weak side to the, to the elbow area, and they had good spacing with that. And even though Rui does, like, you know, everyone always says, oh, he's a great mid-range shooter. The percentages are up and down. Teams do guard him there, which opens up other areas of the floor. Like, they do contest him. They're not going to leave him uncontested at the, at the free throw area, the elbow area. So I think that helps. But again, he's in a limited role, and I don't want to go too much in it because we don't know his situation with the, within the past six months. So it's hard to really say, like, you know, when he's going to get back to fulls or if this season's kind of going to be a full punt and really the off season is when he kind of gets back into a rhythm. So I don't know if there's too much really to discuss there. I think you did say something interesting in regards to Denny. Well, about Denny's role and possibly doing a trade. So that's obviously one of the other topics on Twitter right now has been Jeremy Grant. Is there, is that, is part of this lineup consolidation is a trade part of that. And would you bring a Jeremy Grant in to be your small forward? So for me, I'm okay with Jeremy Grant. You know, I just think it would be, I mocked it a little bit. It would be a so wizards kind of move to go all in by trading for Jeremy Grant, who he's, he's not, a. I mean, he's a decent player, right? He's, He's not like a borderline all-star. I, I just, you know, people get so excited about players. It's like, uh, you know, he had a good couple months to start the season in Detroit and then really fell off. Um, that I'm talking about two years ago when he signed that mm-hmm. deal um, with them. And then he's basically been kind of, you know, about average. He's clearly being the number one option is too much for him. He's not that he's not that guy. Um, but if he comes in and he's like the third option behind like Beal and Kuzma, say, or, you know, so, somewhere in that mix, you know, maybe he'd probably be fine. The question, of course, is what you're giving up to get him and, you know, what Detroit is willing to to part with. So, but if you're trading like, you know, Bertans and Avdia, for example, for Jeremy Grant, yeah, that, that probably upgrades the team. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Kevin here. Like, I think it's all about the price tech, right? Like, he's better than a lot of the guys that play on the team now. So if you can give up guys that are making marginal impact for your team, plus a minimal amount of like other assets, then better players on the court is, is better. And you make the fit work, but I, yeah, I don't love the fit enough that I'd be like throwing stuff at them. And I think if you're Tommy Shepard, you wait this out as long as possible and you hope that the trade market is active Otherwise, and maybe the market for Grant isn't exactly what the Pistons are are hoping that it is. Like you know, you hear this stuff about who wants who for you know in return for which players and uh, Sabonis. There's some talk there. There's De'Aaron Fox is on the market. Does Simmons get traded? Like 
if you're the Wizards, you keep an eye on whoever gets left out of the trade sweepstakes and and you see if you can make a deal for anybody, you know, just like if you're Detroit, you you got to get rid of Grant, right? Like you got to trade him for somebody. So if they're kind of left hanging at the deadline, maybe you can give them something that's better than nothing. Like that's the only way I'd I'd make that deal if I were Shepard, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely on the same, but like I've been a Jeremy Grant fan, but I've been a fan of Jeremy Grant, the role player. And I think he's a good role player. Obviously, there are connections with the franchise, with Harvey being Harvey playing for the franchise. And and you got to respect Jeremy Grant's story. I don't know if he was drafted, but he's kind of really built his way in this league. He didn't start like as a first round pick who just like, you know, he's earned his way up in the league. So I respect that part of it, too. So there's a lot to like there. He plays defense. But I think people get a little carried away with the, oh, he's a 20 point per game scorer. Now, he's not a 20 point per game scorer. He's, He's a 20 point per game scorer because he's playing on the Pistons. And they're tanking and there's no one else there to take shots except for now Cade. If he is coming here, you're expecting something closer to what he was his last season in Oklahoma city or in his season in Denver. So you're looking at 14 points, four rebounds, and you would hope that his three point shooting is in line with what it was those two years there, like 39 ish percent, which is a good player. It's definitely an upgrade to Denny and Bertans, but again, it goes back to cost. Like, is it going to cost you hundred million dollars to keep him? Is it going to cost you picks, which we just don't have to trade uh, because of the Oklahoma City pick out Oklahoma City? So there's there it's it's not that simple. If it was just clear, hey, Denny Bertans for Grant, sure, why not? But it's just not that simple. Now, any trade with them, Bertans has to go. You just can't keep having all these bloated salaries on your cap sheet. Yeah, yeah, I and and I don't think I would want to give up, you know, like a first round pick in a deal for Grant. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he moves the needle enough for that. Um, you know, I look around the league. I mean, I might be willing to do that for someone like, say, Harrison Barnes. Um, the, the guy I would love to get off of uh, Sacramento is uh, Halliburton, who they should have drafted. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's um, that that's not going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, Halliburton's been Sacramento's best player this season. He's he's becoming a really good pro. And uh, so they're, they're not going to get him, but someone like Harrison Barnes would be a, a good fit. Somebody you know who can defend and shoot and is, can play either three or four, you know, ideally he's a four, I think, but you know, he's, he's same thing with Jeremy Grant. I think Jeremy Grant is really a four, but both of them would be an upgrade at three. So I just wouldn't give up picks to get a player of, Jeremy Grant's quality, especially if you then have to turn around and give him, say, you know, a $20 million a deal, $20 million a year deal. I mean, yeah, he's not worth that kind of money. They need a wing. Like they need a wing, just a three and D wing. And I don't need him to do anything more than that. I just want like real consistent, good defense, somebody with a little length, like a better KCP, a better, bigger KCP that's a little less volatile. Like whatever that looks like, whoever that is, I want that guy. And if you're giving that much money to another guy who's ideally suited to be a power forward, you probably never get that guy, right? So for me, that's the reason why I wouldn't pursue it that hard unless it kind of falls into your lap. At that point, you know, pull pull whatever trigger you need to make here. And I, I don't know, maybe they're still holding out that like Rui is that guy eventually. I, I still, I've like always said, I thought Rui is like ideal as a backup for. Like he could exploit a lot of mismatches. He's, you know, the size isn't as big a thing. 
I don't think he's like the most explosive guy, but that's less important against like second tier guys. So he would be amazing to me if he could get like into a groove as a backup instead of like where he was shoe it horned in as the starter from day one. So I, I still think you need a wing. Um, I, I don't know how you get that. Most teams don't want to give those guys up. They all make $20 million now and the really good teams have like two or three of them. And, and that's largely why they're the really good team. So I'm not sure anyone like that would be on the market and maybe Grant is as close to that as you feel like you can get, but that's who I'm making calls about. If I'm Shepard is, is somebody that kind of fits that, you know, that role. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, definitely wing is the need and, you know, in terms of the money, I, I, one, I don't care. It's Ted's money. Right. But But Ted cares. So you have to factor it in. Right. Yeah. No, I'm a season ticket holder that my prices are going to go up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Tommy has to make that a consideration because Ted doesn't want to pay the luxury tax. So, okay. But if you're including like, the Wizards have salaries they can stack together to get uh, pretty make a pretty nice deal. You know, you think about uh, you know Harold is making like you know mid level. You've got um, like Kuzma, what around fourteen million? KCP is around the same. Uh, you've got Bertans, uh, big salary. Um, so they've got some salaries they can put together. Um, I wouldn't, you know, if if I'm the Wizards, I would not be opposed to including Dignity in deal. Um, if depending on what's there, that might be seen as a bit of a betrayal considering they, you know, signed and trade, traded for him. But, you know, what they are thinking about need to be thinking about. They've committed to, to Beal. That's a separate debate, but they've committed to Beal. And so at this point, it really is about just maximizing whatever you can put around him. And the glaring need is, is a small forward, a, you know, six, seven guy who are six, eight or taller, who can defend and shoot threes. That that would be ideal. Obviously, so, ideal would be if he could make plays too, but, you know, <laughs> we can't ask for everything out of a $20 million player. So I went through a couple of, con- like, contracts and factored in a few things. And I know we're kind of going a little bit off topic, but I think it does actually tie into the topic because it would affect our rotations if we actually had a true small forward on the team. Mm-hmm. On the team. What I did was... I looked at players who are under contract for at least two years, if not more, thinking that with the rising cap, Shepard and the Supermax coming up, Tommy Shepard would want some cost certainty. And I, I, I don't know, maybe it was you, Kevin, who told me that, that when he was looking factors in trades, he looks for cost certainty. You know, I think it might, maybe you, maybe someone else, but I, I think I no, did he, hear. So Tommy's phrase is under contract. He, he likes under contract. So it was you guys under contract. contract. <laughs> So under contract, so I'm going to just throw a couple names out at you and, uh, you know, to you and Matt, and let me know if any of them kind of stand out to you. So you've already said Harrison Barnes, he's one. Um, I don't know if they could get him, but maybe a Tim Hardaway Jr., Buddy Heald, Eric Gordon, Karis Levert, Gary Trent Jr., Norm Powell. That's my list. Can I take this one first, Kev? Because uh, I'm going to forget all the names here if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> He holds a non-defender. He is a shooter. So it's probably more a two, I would think, in, in a perfect world. Hardaway, you know, like I haven't watched enough Dallas this year to know what this year's looked like, but it, he was like showing some stuff last year too. Like there was some playmaking and and different things that I kind of didn't didn't know he had. Um, damn it. Oz, give me the list one more time. Uh, okay. So Buddy Heal, Tim Hardaway Jr., Harrison Barnes, Eric Gordon. Um, Karis Levert, Gary Trent, and Norm Powell. Okay, so I like Powell a lot. I know that's your guy too. Um, 
maybe more of a two also, but it's probably not the worst thing. He's got reasonable size, he's a reasonable athlete, been a pretty good shooter. I'm not opposed to that. Lavert's been like really bad anytime I've seen him on a court this year, but it's a guy I've always liked. And, you know, maybe you think you can rehab him in a new place and maybe you can get him reasonably affordably based on how he's played. So yeah. like he's young enough. There's some upside still there. He's a guy I'd consider if the price was right, but um, these are all guys like I wouldn't go crazy for. Uh, I've always liked Barnes, but again, I think he's probably better as a four. The defense is like starting to go a little bit. So, you know, they're imperfect solutions. I I think those are the kinds of guys that that make sense theoretically, though. Of that group, I think I'd go Powell. I think, you, you know, I'm a big Powell guy and he's become a very just productive player and a good shooter. A little undersized, but he's got a big, you know, strong physical frame. So I think he could hold up at the three. But Kev, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like Powell as well. Um, I think he could start at small forward and, you know, he is playing small forward. And he's above average. And he's not smaller than KCP. So it's not like we're backsliding there. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, but then you get bigger because KCP then plays more shooting guard. Right. Or KCP actually would probably swing between the shooting guard, small forward. So yeah. you've then got, at least like average-ish, average to above average play at small forward and, and coming off the bench and shooting guard. And so you, you get Beal playing some lead guard, you get Dinwiddie playing some lead guard. And um, I think you've, you've upgraded in part because you don't have to play replacement level Meadow or replacement level Holiday. And you get those little, the, the, those little smaller guys off the floor, right? Um, so th- there's an upgrade there. Um, Karis Levert is interesting. He's 27, actually. I mean, it's funny that we, I, I think of him as younger too. And it's funny because I think of Tim Hardaway as like, but Tim Hardaway is 29. So he's still got, a you know, two, three years of, of basic, basically being an average kind of player. Harrison Barnes, also 29. Um, you know, he's, he, so I, I don't think there's any way that you're getting Gary Trent out of, out of Toronto with what the Wizards would want to offer. Yeah. Um, he's, not great, but he he does fill an important role for them. He does the things that they want him to do, and he's he's a good shooter and just sort of tough guy. You know, he, a three and D two though, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could probably play. He's probably got enough size that he could play small forward in the same kind of role of like Norman Powell, KCP. You know, probably a little undersized, but not not too much. And and he kind of he's feisty, so you know that helps too. Um, so, and I also have a hard time believing that, that Dallas would want to trade Tim Hardaway. Maybe they would um, in the, the right package. Probably but not for the guys we can give them. Not for the guys, yeah. They'd want some immediate help from Luca. So, Levert is interesting. Um, you know, and that's also interesting because one of the rumored destinations for Avdia in the trade is, is Indiana. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see who, who they would be getting. Levert would make some sense. Um, he's got some decent size. And, the thing with Levert is he he seems to think he's a little bit better than he than he is, and on one hand, that can be helpful because you know that's a guy who will who will play hard and do things do some things. On the other hand, he he will get out over his skis and make a mess of things at times too. So that said, you know if you're playing him at small forward again, you get that same benefit of getting other guys less productive guys off the floor. The reason I liked Levert as a name. It, it, 
it's more about like him theoretically than like him actually, but like Tommy has tried to like buy low on guys. And and I just think Levert might be of that list. Someone you could probably buy lower on that has more upside than you're, you're not buying high on him Like, like you would be with a couple of those guys is sort of the only reason why I think he stands out more than, than some of the others. Yeah. And I guess for, for, well, Indiana does, isn't really going anywhere this season, I don't think, but you know, they, they've got TJ Warren coming back theoretically, assuming he hasn't had his leg amputated yet. But, um, you know, he's coming back at some point, and, and I think they would be fine parting ways with, with Levert as Warren comes back. Or I'd take Warren if he were healthy and they wanted to get off of him. Yeah, the thing with from the Wizards' perspective is what are you going to get for, from, right. from Warren? You know, it's a sight unseen at this point. And, you know, they would really have to go over his medical and have some faith that he's going to come back playing at some level near what he was when he, when he got hurt. So Kevin, one question about the rotation, one player that's been getting his role, whose role is increased or expanded. It's, it's funny because of the three first round picks that Tommy Shepard has made, he's probably had the least hoopla around him, but Kispert has started making shots. How is uh, how is he looking? Your opinion, like, and is he potentially a starting small four? Did he kind of see him as a reserve? Based on how he's been playing, would you keep him in the rotation? And do you think he? How do you think he kind of projects in that role? Uh, I would probably keep him in the rotation for now. Um, I think that he's in that shooting guard small forward role where he'll he'll slide between them. I think he's probably like going to be a value he'll probably max out at like a valuable backup. I don't think he's like going to be a full-time starter, um, but you know, who knows? I mean, if he can become like the, say a 40 to 45% three point shooter, then, then yeah, he can start and he can play a lot of minutes, but, and you know, he, he at least competes on defense. He's not a, like an excellent defender, but he's also not terrible. You know? And so the fact that he's willing to, he, that he's starting to make some threes, he will attack closeouts. He does one thing. He's got to work on this. This, I assume, I'm hoping is more like rookie jitters type of thing where he'll attack a closeout. He'll drive you know, two, three dribbles, get into the paint, and then stop and look yeah. around for somebody to pass mm-hmm. to. And it's the same kind of thing that you know Hachimura has been doing, Avdi has been doing. And um, it's like do something with the ball, either pull up, uh, you know, take the shot, or you know, turn the corner, or – you know, move the ball instead of attacking or shoot the sh- shoot it instead of attacking, you know, something. It's just you can't keep driving into the middle of the defense and then stand there pivoting around looking for somebody to get the ball from. You know? And that was a big development for Kispert at Gonzaga. Like I watch a lot of WCC because they're late night and it suits my sort of weird life schedule. But he was a guy that like only did catch and shoot for a while. And then by junior year, you started to see some driving and some playmaking and you're like, Oh, okay. Like he's a little more confident. Like it was a slow incremental every off season added a thing or felt more comfortable, you know, adding some piece to his game. So I definitely think he'll do that. Like you said, for a rookie defender, he's been actually not as terrible as I expected. Like he's not been great, but we'll, we'll take it. No one else is any good either. I would actually start him. I wouldn't play him starters minutes, but he's like seemed to look good next to the starters. So it, if it were me in a perfect world, I would go Beal, KCP, Kispert, Kuzma, 
Gafford. And then at like the first media timeout, you take Kispert out and you bring Dinwiddie in or, or like whatever you do to, to change things up there. Um, just, just to start to stagger some guys. Like, and, and that's one of the things I want to talk to you guys about, like just general philosophy, some really good teams, uh, you know, they play their starters and then they bring in their bench. Some teams, like uh, if you look at Milwaukee, two of the three between holiday Middleton and Giannis are always on the floor together. Like almost always, um, you know, like the Lakers, LeBron and AD play together and then they come out like, so just let's say Kuzma's your de facto two here. Would you stagger them some, would you bring in some of these guys off the bench and kind of make for like a more solid bench unit? Like, I'm just curious where you guys would go um, with, with like kind of staggering the, the level of play here. I mean, I think if you cut down the rotation to the point where you're playing more competent guys, the, the at least the vast majority of minutes, that that kind of takes care of itself. I mean, if you go with an eight-man rotation, for example, um, the rotation almost you, you you're forced to stagger because of you know that's that's who you just have not that many more guys. Yeah, and I, I don't mind the idea of starting Kispert at small forward. Like if they can't make any trades, you know, starting him and playing but playing him, you know the same number of minutes, basically, you know, that like 18 to 20 minutes. And then you're bringing, you know, I, I would probably do it with KCP coming off the bench um, rather than Dinwiddie, but I could see doing it the other way. So that you're bringing a point guard off, you know, or a lead guard. I, they don't really have a point guard, but I think that lead guard terminology is probably best. Um, you know, I, th- I think that makes sense. And then you you were pretty much I mean, with the way they do their substitution pattern, you know, it's like, they're kind of, they do stagger Beal and Dinwiddie um, to some extent. And, you know, you work Kuzma into that mix, I guess. Um, and then the center rotation is just going to kind of take care of itself. I think you, you basically you run eight minute shifts of whoever, but um, it's, yeah, I do think that that's, that makes sense. To, but I, I think that cutting that rotation down, you know, they talk about depth, but again, I've been saying this since the, you know, preseason, is that the, the depth is basically several guys who are kind of mediocre and it's really, they're all kind of playing the same position. And, you know, Kuzma, if he keeps this up, the Kuzmania of the, the recent weeks, if he keeps this up, then they've wrote, they've found something and he needs to play, you know, 34, 36 minutes a night, right? I mean, if he's going to be all-star level, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I one thing that drove me crazy about Scott Brooks, to start every season, he would go five reserves together. He would never stagger. Even when he had Wall and Beal, he finally started staggering, I believe, well, like last year with Westbrook because he kind of, he had to at that point. And Westbrook was playing more shorter stints, at least to start and the season. And we played him so, with three-point guards for some reason. Yeah, exactly. So well, Also, I mean, that roster was complete trash. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can't hold they that had, to it for now. They didn't other have other than Beal and Westbrook. Yeah. I mean, there was no choice. Yeah. So, I yeah, like, he had to stagger and he did. Um, I th- yeah, I think what they're doing now is fine. Matt, I-, I would go with the lineup that you're saying. I would probably also start Kispert at three with KCP and Beal, but I don't think they're going to make that dramatic of a shift with, with Dinwiddie um, so soon into his contract. Um, but yeah, I like what they're doing. I like that they're taking Dinwiddie out early and bringing him back in. I just don't like that they're bringing him back in with Neto. So <laughs> that's really just my own issue, but like my issue with that lineup, but I like how they're doing that. So they always have either Dinwiddie or Beal pretty much on the floor at all times. And, um, and Kuzma seems to be is like during the streak is playing heavy minutes. So he's on the floor with starters, with backups. 
I mean, I've, you've seen him at times where he's, he's with Beal and there are times where he's with Denny or he's playing some small ball five. So he's kind of, they know he's hot and they're keeping him on the floor, which is, which is good. So, so this is the thing like we can't know from where we are not being in the locker room, right? Is just some where guys are comfortable and who they're comfortable with, I think is huge. And I always remember like Greg Popovich talking about like his job as coach was to like make guys comfortable in like their roles and find roles where they would be comfortable. And Kispert has played better next to better players. So like starting him, you know, maybe it helps him build some confidence. It gets him better looks. Dinwiddie's best year came, you know, coming off the bench in some capacity. You can still play him starters minutes, but like they're totally different players, but like Ish never want Ish Smith never wanted to start. Like he was a guy that didn't even come out of the tunnel until after the game started. Like sometimes guys are weird like that. They do better like when the game starts and there's a flow and then they can kind of like find their way or, you know, or, or fit in there. So. And Kispert's always moving. He's always on, like when Din, when Beal has a ball and Dinwiddie does not, Dinwiddie's kind of standing, spotting up. Kispert is just running around in circles. He does what he does without having the ball in his hand. He has his, and guys and the defenders defense has to account for him. They know just by reputation, even before he started making shots, they know that he was go. He, you can't leave him alone from three. And now that he's making shots, it's like, they know that even more. So his, he could have an impact without having the ball, which I think is important for any lineup. Yeah. Now one thing with Dinwiddie is when we talk about comfort, I mean, his best performance, you know, his best season definitely did come when he was you know, playing off the bench a lot. The thing is, is, I think part of the reason why he came to Washington was because he wanted to be a full-time star. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're not going to want to just take that from him at this point, I think. Right. So, um, and, right. you know, he's playing better. He's like, you know, Beal and, and him are the only guards who are above average so far sure. this season, at least in my stuff. So, you know, obviously Dinwiddie's not like great, but he he did have, a you know, that stretch of three games with no turnovers, which was pretty impressive. What was that like? 28 turnover. I mean, 28 assists and no turnovers. So, you know, and some of those were pretty daring passes. I mean, he was throwing some lobs in traffic and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't like he was playing just to avoid turnovers, but um, he's, he's an odd player. He's just, he's, he's not entirely, I think what people expected. Um, and I think that some of the expectations were unrealistic considering he'd literally never been a starter and he's basically been an average-ish player. Um, even at his best, he was just barely above average. So you know, all that's kind of interesting to me. You'd have to have that convo, right? Like it's, if, if he's like fist on the table, I came here to be a starter or I'm going to pout like that, that ties your hands. But if you can make the argument for, Hey, you're going to play the exact same amount of minutes, but now you're coming in against guys that you have more of an advantage of, and you will get the ball more uh, because you're not out there with four other guys that are not the Gafford super high usage, but you know what I mean? Like, you can do a little bit more what you do or, or operate a little more freely. And I just think the way he plays, like he's got a little bit of an old man game. He relies on being kind of bigger and longer than people. He's not beating them with like speed or burst. You can do that against the other team's Neto more easily than you can do it against mm-hmm. the other team's John Morant or whoever, not that Josh is like a great defender, but you know what I mean? Like it, it just, it maximizes what he does well, I think to, to kind of get him against backups. More. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I, like I agree with that. I mean, I do think that he would be the ideal role for him is coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, 
They're kind of working around that with the stagger though. So, I mean, I think uh, that probably accomplishes both things. It gets them in the role that it gets them back in against backups, but it also appeases any promises made about the start. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think the other thing I was trying to tease a little bit there, guys, is just who looks comfortable next to who should drive a good amount of like who actually is in the rotation. Like we talked to, like, as you mentioned, uh, Rui and Thomas Bryan looking to get like better together. Those guys have spent a good amount of time, you know, in practices together, actually on the court in past situations, like where some of these guys are new pieces and for the, both of them being new, they haven't really had a chance to kind of integrate with these other guys yet. So I might keep stuff like that in mind, at least in the short term of like, okay, they've all played with Beal before. So maybe they'll look all more competent if you kind of give them their minutes together in, in some kind of collective. I, I don't know. Do you think that's worth factoring in? I think so. And it, it wasn't even on, it wasn't only on offense. It was also on defense. It was a play where, where Thomas, Thomas Bryan and, and Rui got switched up on, on two shooters and they played the switch perfectly. Rui went fought through the pick and on the second screen, Thomas Bryan flashed and contested the three point shot. And you could just see the chemistry was there. They were, there was no guessing. Like if, if, if Rui was doing that with Harold, there'd probably be some guessing. What is he going to do? He probably have no idea what Harold's going to do in that situation. He knows he probably can communicate better with Bryant. They've been around each other for two and a half years now. So there's, I would factor that in. I think, I think they're definitely, you know, like Kuzma seems like the type that he could play with anyone. He seems like he's just having a great time on the court, put him on the floor with anyone. He's going to have fun. Uh, But yes, I would factor in guys who's know, who know each other's games and try to get them to share as many minutes as possible. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. That's, that's, that should be a factor. It's, it just seems to go with like Tommy's mantra of like continuity being like a focus longer term, at least with just keeping the roster together is like guys should play better if they've played next to those people for, for some amount of time. Yeah. So Tommy's take on continuity drives me nuts. Just FYI, just, okay. <laughs> I've, I've done this rant before, but I'll go ahead and do it again real quick. Let's do it. And that is that he, he says things like the, the way that they talk about continuity from the wizards is that you get players, you keep them together, and then you get good, right? Then you become good. That's not, I think, how it works. I think that they've gotten the con- they they look at continuity as a causal thing for being good, and I don't think that it is. I think that what it is is you get good, you become good, and then you keep you guys together. Good. You know, when you stink, when you're a bad team, you want to change the players. You want to get good players, and so you know, there's there's some aspect to it that's correct in the sense that like if you're Memphis and you've drafted John Morant and um, Jerry Jackson and you know who else Uh, Brandon Clark and maybe a couple others right you want to give them a little time to see if they can become good to see Mm -hmm. if they can um, develop into good players that kind of stuff so you keep them together for in in that respect so in that respect I, I would agree with them but the, the way they talk about it, it doesn't really suggest that. It's like get the best players you possibly can. You keep changing players until you get to the, the high-quality players. And when you have terrific players, then you keep them because at that point you're good. <laughs> you know, San Antonio didn't, like, keep guys together. They didn't keep uh, Duncan, Parker, Ginobili together just because, right? Because, like, if you put the three of us together on, the, on an NBA team, I don't care how long we stay together, we're not going to win a single game ever, right? You haven't seen me shoot. A championship. 
We have three plus defenders. I feel good about that. <laughs> no, no, we're not plus. Def- I'm not a plus defender. No, I am a definite minus defender. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stand in the corner and shoot threes, um, but I need a, a long time to get the shot off. So, Kevin, in that vein about continuity, so obviously the deadline's coming up. I think, obviously, you always look for upgrades because the roster isn't final. You have some expiring contracts, and there are, there are definitely areas where they need to improve how much turnover, but, but at the same time, I kind of playing the devil's advocate, they've had how many different rosters now in the last two years. So like, if you look year over year, the roster, even half year over half year, they're changing over like 50 to 60% of the roster, like almost like every 45, 50 games, you know, it -hmm. seems like. So how often, like, can you keep doing that that often? Like what I would say is this, they should definitely make a trade if they could get a wing, a two for one, probably works best, not trying to include anyone that's really part of your core rotation right now. So if you could use a Denny, if you could use a Bretons, what have you, to get a wing, that's kind of like a trade that makes sense to me because you're not disrupting Kuzma, Beal, KCP, Dinwiddie, the, the, and then two of your three centers. Um, but then you hear kind of, you see people on Twitter saying, oh, we need to go get, and obviously if he gets the bonus, you, that's great, but you're, the Wizards don't have the assets to get the bonus. So like, but can you keep turning over 40 to 50% of your roster and just like, what does that accomplish really is my question, you know? Well, that's, I mean, you, you, now you're getting into like the Ben Becker zoom out thing because like, what are they accomplishing anyway, right? Yeah. That, that, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is, is like the, the better players you have, the more chance, the good players figure out how to fit. You know, it's not, usually the, the fit problems come because the players um, are too limited. They're just not that good, right? And so there is some, like you, when you have like three centers, for example, that's probably too many. You need two. Right. right? But, you know, with like KCP, it's just interesting because, I mean, I agree with you that he is a core part of their rotation, but he's also basically kind of an average guy. You know, his right. value is he makes threes and he plays defense. I mean, that's kind of about it, right? And if he's has one of those 0 for 5 games with, from three, which most guys will have at some point, um, then he's, he's not going to, he, he's not going to have provided much of anything positive for you. Um, well, let me so, actually give you an example. Like, so KCP, I agree with you completely, but like a, a Kuzma. So some of the zoom out argument has been, Hey, Kuzma has been great. 13 games. Let's trade him right now. You're still not going to get an all-star for him. So it depends on maybe really- what else you put around him. You know, because if you if you put enough other stuff in the, in the deal, maybe somebody does. Maybe, uh, you know, Indiana, for example, says, you know, we think Kuzma's made the leap and uh, we want to they want to break up Sabonis and Turner anyway. And so mm-hmm. they trade, you know, Kuzma and Avdia and the first round pick for Sabonis or a couple firsts or something like that. You know, it's I could I could imagine that kind of deal happening. And but my point on was with Kuzma is you know he's basically been average for five and a half seasons and for a couple of weeks he's been well above average he's been playing all star level at, at that point yeah um, you know over the last ten games or so so it's like is he genuinely making a leap you know I I would imagine that most GMs would be cautious about assuming that yeah. I think the Wizards should be cautious about assuming that and they should be willing to go ahead and include him in trades. Yeah. If it makes the team better overall, which I think that's kind of the main point. It has to just make the team better. It can't just be 
Let's trade. Reshuffling the deck every year doesn't yeah, do you any favors. There's no point in reshuffling the better. deck unless you're getting an all-star or yeah. all-star caliber, potential all-star caliber player. If you're just trading like KZP for Terrence Ross, what do you actually do? You're just cycling through the same cycle, you know? But the thing is, is ultimately that's kind of the position that they're going, that they're in and they're going mm-hmm. to be in because they have some guys who are semi-desirable to other teams but they're, they're not really needle movers. It's the kind of guy like KCP is is a better piece to have, a better player to have if you are a good team. Like he, he'd be really nice like in Milwaukee, for example. You know, right. That mid-sized player who can, who can shoot, right? Or Miami. He'd be nice in Miami. You know, good teams. He, that 3 and D becomes more valuable um, right. in that kind of a situation. So so I think your you're, you're guys, I agree with sort of both ends of this argument here, right? Like, but I, I think where this changes, like, yeah, you keep reshuffling the deck to get better players. If your goal is to try to like eventually build your team into a championship team, right? That's not the objective in Washington. Like, they are not trying to build a team to win an NBA championship. Like, we we need to all be on board as a fan base about like what the objective is and have expectations to match that. And the goal here is to be like a six seed. Like that's what they're trying to do. That's what they're locked into. The Wizards. The goal is to be the 16, 17 Wizards. The the Wizards are an investment for Ted, right? Like if they're good in the short term, you can make playoff money. You can sell tickets. Like all those things help you make short-term money. For him, it's a long-term investment of NBA teams just holding on to them for as long as possible are going to keep exponentially going up in value. And the longer he holds on to them, the more valuable they are. He doesn't, he doesn't need to go in the tax. He doesn't need to do any of these things. So they're going to lock into Beal with a marginal core that's capped at a five or six seed if you get everything right and the rest of the East is meh. And, and to me, if you want to do that, you find as many good pieces as you can, and then you kind of keep that core together, and then you build around the margins as much as you can. You find some buy low guys here that maybe can get better and Maybe that raises your ceiling a little bit better if you hit on one of them or hit on a draft pick. And that's how I'd go about trying to go from a seven seed to a four or five seed. But the like we the we blow it up conversation and, and get rid of Beal and get picks, like that shit drives me nuts because it is not realistic. It's not gonna and, happen. And you know, like what you know, Tommy's point about continuity makes sense if you're Milwaukee or Utah right. or you're on the fringe. And let's keep this group together and see if they get over the hump eventually. I'm, you know, I'm just saying like some of these guys will like playing with each other better than others. Ideally, the coaches should know that. And maybe you build your rotations on who maximizes mm-hmm. whose individual skill set. And, and you won't know that until some of these guys have played together, you know, more than three or four games or whatever. So Matt, I think you make an interesting point. And I, I don't completely agree that he does not want to win. I just don't think that he is willing to he's not going to bottom out for five years he's not going to bottom out for five years in hopes that they might rebuild something because there is revenue there is he does not want an empty stadium he does not want his tv contracts radio rights whatever everything all that There's a big gambling just, facility i don't exactly. know 11 he does feet not from want the it arena to be emptied out so if he right. could build a 45 to 50 win team uh that just hovers in that round to like 16 17 he'd be fine with that and hope praying that one year that something breaks their way and they just break. Anything I think that's better than that is, is icing on the cake. Yeah. I th- think the couple of the, 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 the narratives that you hear on Twitter is like, Oh, pay the tax. 
like when people say that, like, look, if I was the owner, I'm not paying the tax for an eighth seed. <laughs> so like I'll pay the tax for a team that like a Milwaukee Bucks that could win a championship. I, I wouldn't pay the tax for just to kind of like hopefully get out of the play-in. But I do think he wants to win. I just don't think, like you said, he does not want to bottom out. And there are business reasons probably behind that, which I, which look, it's not as a fan, you can, I, you can see both sides. You don't want to see a tanking situation, but you also get tired of just kind of being stuck. Well, also, the, the, there's debate about like the efficacy of tanking, especially with how they've changed the draft lottery so that um, I think that they could even tweak it more to discourage teams from tanking. Um, but, you know, it's th- there's an argument for trying basically to be as good as you can be, you know, without you don't want to squander future assets and that kind of stuff. But just trying to build the best team that you can year by year. And then, like you say, if you like Matt said, if you, you get lucky with a draft pick, you know, you, you hit on somebody uh, with like, you know, the 15th pick or somebody hit, hit on the next Kawhi or the next Giannis later in the draft or uh, Jokic, you know, really late in the draft, you know, it, then, then you get lucky and you, you have a star and you, you get a chance to win. But, you know, if it, it, it's just bottoming out and saying, we're going to be bad. We're going to get a high draft pick that can work sort of, and it, it can't work. I mean, you think about Philadelphia who tanked the hardest and the longest, they basically have one guy left from all their, their high picks. So um, and he's very good, but the know, OKC they, model. I mean, where did that get them? I got them one finals and they had literal three Hall of Famers on the team. Like, unless you have a top five guy, you have no chance of winning a title. And how do you get a top five guy? You either draft them half the time they get, you know, they're not the number one overall pick anyway. Like sometimes they are, but, you know, there's there's hit or miss aspects of that, too. If you end up two, three, four. Are you getting a game changer? Probably well, not. So think you're about tra- like, yeah, who are the top players in the league right now? Right, like LeBron was obviously he was number one, number one. Steph Curry, he's what seven, six pick. or seven, yeah, yeah. yeah. Giannis was what fifteen, yeah. So I mean, Durant that's like was two. Yeah, Harden, Harden was either three or four. Harden I mean, was like three. Kawhi yeah, was, was in the three. teens, right? Kawhi was in the teens. Paul yeah, George Kawhi was, was late lottery, I believe. Also, just Kawhi was fifteenth. He right. traded the, the the Spurs traded George Hill for the fifteenth pick and took Kawhi. And my guess is when they picked him, they weren't thinking he was a future superstar. They, they thought, thought he was OG and Anobi. I mean, yeah. yeah, they thought he would be a nice, like you know, compliment off the bench and maybe prolong the careers of uh, Duncan and stuff for a little while. Then he'd be a nice, nice player. And they they weren't thinking if you look at him. His first couple of years, you know, he put up some great numbers, but he was like a you know rookie year, like a fourteen percent usage guy. So, you know, it wasn't like they brought him in to be a superstar right off the bat. This is the thing Larry and I talked to to Jared Jeffries about after he'd worked in like the Denver front office and stuff. And it was why don't free agents want to come to Washington? And their sort of thinking, based on talking to other guys, you know, their peers and stuff, was just they've been like either kind of poorly managed or been like mostly not that good you know, for, for at least half of the last two decades. And I just think if you build like a consistently pretty good organization, your chances of luring in a free agent longer term are better because there's a track record of, we aren't going to be shit. If I go there, I know I'm not going to be the Orlando magic of the last, most of the last decade at this point. So 
if you can be really good, you save as many assets as possible. And then when some star is unhappy, you make the godfather offer with everybody you got, you empty the tank completely, and you hope that that's your thing that you can do. To me, that's the only way this team ever builds beyond you know, anything more than a five seed. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to, to your point and to their point, it's not just with, like the last few decades. You look at like the history of the league. Yeah, forever. Out of 30 teams, I think they're like 24th in winning percentage, yeah. um, you know, franchise. So, and they're behind like some of the, some of the expansion teams. So it's like, they've been really poorly managed. And, you know, Ted stuck with Bronfeld for at least eight years too long. Yep. You know, it was it got to a point where it was simply absurd. So, you know, but there is an argument for just just build the best team you can, collect the best players that you can, and then, like you say, like at this point, they have guys that they can trade um, that and that other teams may actually want. Now, maybe not to the point where you you you'd want them. You know, they not extreme value, but they are at least players that you can package in. I think there are a couple of things that they could do. Well, there's still a couple of things that's still factoring into why they're in the position they're in that I think people don't also realize. Like they, everyone's like, oh, they should do this. They should do that. They should trade. There's still, there's still a cost associated with the John Wall Supermax that they are still inhibited by. That pick is still owed to Oklahoma City now after the Singun trade. And that pick has protections on it that really they cannot, unless they get Oklahoma City to lift the protections, they probably have to give Oklahoma, incentivize them to do so, even though it's to their benefit. But with a Thunder, you have no idea, even if they want to pick in a certain draft, they might just want to trade for future picks. So they have to incentivize them to lift the restrictions or they cannot trade a first round pick until 2028. So that there's still, everyone's like, oh, just trade, like, you know, do what the Bulls did with DeRozan or with Vucevic. It's like, they don't have the picks to trade because that Supermax put them in a tough position. That said, they are where they are now. They do have tradable contracts. They should do it. I think what one thing that's kind of always hurt this team, I look at the Nationals as an example. They overpaid, but they when they were kind of nothing, they paid Jason Worth like a huge deal. And he came in, kind of was part of their culture, their core. And that kind of set the tone. He wasn't the greatest signing because he wasn't the greatest player, but it was like a tone setter for the organization. The Wizards never really, they were always afraid to go out in the market and do something. So they traded for certainty versus actually ever entering the market. So they, instead of taking their cap space and trying something, they would trade for Nene, they would trade for Okariza, you know, they would, do, they would do that type of move. And then the one year where they finally did have money to spend 2016, which we, everything always goes back to 2016, where the 20, you know, that off season, they had money, but they came off not making the playoffs and a coaching change. So they never, they didn't really, that should have been there. Hey, we have momentum. We're like a second round team, but no, they went from a second round team to not making the playoffs coaching change. You have no track record of free agency. So yes, you're going to lose Al Horford to the Celtics. <laughs> well, and the other part of that too, the 2016, that the, the mistakes of 2016 began in 2014 um, when they decided to basically create max cap space because they thought they could get in the Durant sweepstakes. And that was absurd because they knew that there was a new TV deal coming in, that there would be a lot more money. Ted Leonsis was part of negotiating. He was on the committee that negotiated that new TV deal and knew how much more money was coming in, knew there was going to be a significant lift in the cap 
Um, and I think that they thought that there would be some smoothing and it wasn't going to be this massive jump. But their strategy was to have max cap space. And that summer, half the league had max cap space. And so, of course, I mean, there was just so much money chasing not that many players. And, and so it was like Durant didn't even take a meeting with them and signed with the team that was literally furthest away from Washington. That you could imagine. So, <laughs> but, but also a guy that said he went to Texas because he didn't want to be near home. Yeah, so that, you think that's suddenly going to change an NBA free agency? Like that was shit logic from the start and just roll that money over. Like it's not yeah. a, if you don't use it, you lose it situation. Yeah. Like just in Orlando did a deal with, um, I, who, who did they sign? They, they signed somebody. Oh, it was Jeff Green. And they gave them like a one-year, fifteen million dollar deal yeah. just to keep their yeah. their money. Yeah, you know, fill the fill the spot, fill the you know, spend some money, get up to the salary floor, and then don't worry about it. But the Wizards, I mean, well, they they did get three players for the money. <laughs> so just just sticking with that for for one more second here, like the notion of, and this is why I wouldn't go all in to consolidate just to get a Jeremy Grant, like. When And I found this stat from 2019 that I thought was interesting. 15 teams that had the largest gaps between their top player and their eighth player in terms of possessions per game uh, won 58% of their games. And the 15 teams with the smallest gap of 42% or, or won 42% of their games. So just, just saying that like realistically a top heavy roster where your best guy or two uses most of the possessions is more likely to win you a lot of games. That's why I would trade all of my capital for another guy that can come in and be a one, two, three guy, as opposed to a grant that yeah. is probably best suited as a three, four, five kind of guy. Yeah. Grant at his best was a good role player on Denver. Like he played the role great in Denver. He couldn't even beat out Paul Millsap for most of the year. He was yeah. old. Like, yeah. So he, but he played he, in the playoffs. He played, he excelled in his role. That's his role though. He's, People are going to have a misconception that he's going to come in here and score 20 a game. And I don't even think Wes Unsel would even want him to score, like try to score 20 a game. So, um, but like you said, yeah, if they could get us like to push your chips in, especially with so little with, with their limitations on what they could do with their draft picks, you have to try for like a Sabonis. You have to try for someone like that. Otherwise go through the list of wings and find whoever is kind of left on the market on the trade deadline with nowhere else to send their guy and then send out as little as you can to get a playable three. Because like, look, if you could get a, who are we talking about? Like Norm Powell, that type. And the cost is similar to what it is for Grant or even just a little bit less. What are you actually losing? You're not, you actually might be getting a better player in my opinion, but you're not losing much. And then you still save your capital for whenever an all-star might become available. And if your objective is to just, again, to be like a marginal playoff team again this year, like better teams usually have better benches. Like they also win a lot of their bench moment, like uh, bench minutes. So like, I wouldn't gut myself for a guy that's not going to move the needle that much. Um, so it just, it, it's about what are you trying to do and what can you realistically do? And does it serve your long-term goals any? And, and I don't know about half the things we're talking about actually doing them much much like longer term good here. Right. I mean, you trade for Norman Powell, for example, and I mean, you know, maybe you get six instead of seven, right? Yeah. Or seventh instead of eighth or ninth instead of 10th. You know, it's like he's not moving. Either. Jeremy Grant, same same sort of deal. Even like Harrison Barnes is kind of the same. They're all kind of in that 
mid-level area where they're they're better than what they've been playing because and if they're cheap enough, I mean that's okay. But yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, last thing we've gone kind of long here already, but I, I want to just throw this at you guys real quick. There's been a lot of I asked if anybody had questions, and a lot of them came back to. Uh, how does Holiday not get Neto's minutes? And we talked about that a little bit earlier. I do like the idea of at least like one smaller ball handling guard. Not that they have to be small, but you know what I mean? Like not a not a point forward kind of guy. But why not cut bait on both of them <laughs> and try anyone on the go-go, try anyone in the G League, like any of these guys that are getting 10 days, can they be really that much worse? I mean... You've got Jordan Goodwin on the go-go who most nights is going like four for 17 because they're trying to play him as like the team's Bradley Beal and he can't shoot. So that doesn't work, but he's like young athletic. You can't tell me he couldn't come in for 12 minutes a game and be better defensively than Neto has been. Just, just a thought. Well, I would like, I think, I think this team needs to consolidate. So I have no problem taking both out of the rotation completely. Um, I wouldn't go as, I remember Jordan Goodwin. I mean, it was, it's not fair. He played one game against the heat and he looked awful. So I'm not gonna, I can't really rely on that. I can't say that he'd be even as good as Neto or holiday. I know there are people who are asking for holiday, but it doesn't make sense to say we need to consolidate, but then to also say, what about holiday? It's like one or the other, do you want to consolidate or do you want to play everyone? Um, holiday. I thought, look, he, he came in against Portland after Neto had a, awful game. It was just really one of the worst games I've seen. Good I think, I think Kev, his PPA was like what? Negative 200, negative 150 or something. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, bad. it was a bad game. And then holiday came in, had a very good fourth quarter, but I think that's the extent to which you use him now. Like if all else is failing, put him in the fourth and see if you can provide a spark. And that's until the trade deadline when he's probably not even here after the trade deadline and same with Neto. Neto has, Neto has gone so has been, unproductive for so long now his shooting has been so bad that that's the the, that's the one argument there's like if if i were aaron holiday i'd be like i get me not playing but i don't get me not playing and not little play yeah Yeah. so that's really kind of my the argument there but really kind of both out the rotation problem solved yeah i think i'd be i agree Cut both out of the rotation uh maybe even cut both (laughs) i'd I'd be okay with that you can't trade them um, I'd be willing to cycle through some some smaller guard, you know, some G League guys to uh, just see a if ball can... handler somewhere on the bench uh, has to be a better potential ten minute a game guy than either of them have been. Well, I don't even think you need that. I just think it's got to be somebody who can be the fifth guard, you know, that that somebody you can throw out there, or if somebody gets in foul trouble or garbage sure. time, who's competent. I mean, both of those guys are basically replacement level. Uh, you know, Neto has been a little better than that previously, you know, last season, like I said, he was actually pretty good, but this season he's, he's been terrible. He, you know, he's not, he's lost the ability to shoot. I mean, I, I pointed this out on Twitter during the game, during the game, but he had like, he couldn't get a better look. I mean, he was wide open from the top of the circle, uh, you know, three point shot. He, he got his legs into the shot. He, you know, everything was just right. He had lots of time. Nobody came out to contest and he bricked it, you know, from straight on, he hit the backboard first and it was just like, it wasn't close. And his, whatever it is with his shot, it's not, it's, it's off. And um, so dropping him from the rotation 
would be fine. I would not want to replace it with Aaron Holiday because Holiday has been a replacement level player for you know multiple years in, in, in his career. He's just he's just not that good. And I think they're both really more shooting guard than point guard. And so bringing in, I mean, try Tremont Waters, sure. Get, you know, give him another 10-day and, and see. And then, Our boy Ayayi, somebody, you know, with a little size maybe at least, like something. Yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to give Ayayi a try. You know, he really has, he's got very limited minutes. He's been pretty awful in those minutes and at the NBA level. But in the G League, he's been, he's been pretty solid. So, and he's still learning point guard, so... I'm not, I'm not sure I would want to necessarily burden him with that, but you know, th- there are guys out there who are competent guards, at least potentially competent guards in the G league. And so give, give some of those guys a shot, cycle through them. You're talking about a fifth guard. So yeah. it's not like it's the end of the world to, to churn through a few guys until you find one. Right. Or another Brad Wanamaker reunion. Who knows? <laughs> another uh, guy. Yeah, exactly. Guys, any parting shots here? Take that as a no. I think that's good. I think we've uh, over our hour and a half have thoroughly beat up this rotation. We're interested to see how many of these changes that we've suggested the coaching staff uh, implements them. I I think if enough guys on the coaching staff get COVID, we might get the call up here or a 10 day tryout uh, as the 17th or 18th coach on the bench or however many they have now. Uh, it's been another Bullets Forever three-point play. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. There'll be another round table. There'll be some social media posts. Let us know what you want to hear about next. And uh, let us know how we did. If we uh, if we messed any of this up or if there's somebody should be playing we didn't talk about, we, we want to hear that from you guys. All right. Until next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.